Welcome to the Mission Manhood Podcast, where mature masculinity is celebrated and encouraged. My name is Angela Abide, and I will be your host. Every week or so, I sit down with a man who is in the men's movement, helping men grow and thrive in their masculinity, someone who is exhibiting characteristics of mature masculinity, or someone who has a perspective that might be beneficial for those who are seeking to grow and develop in that area. As a woman, I have a unique perspective as a mother and a therapist, and I hope to contribute to the conversation in those ways. Thank you so much for joining, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm glad you're here. In the last episode, we mentioned trauma in regard to personal healing as a necessary part of the journey toward masculine leadership. This feels like a perfect follow-up to that, a deeper dive into trauma, uh, understanding what to look for in terms of symptoms, and understanding its effects and how to overcome it. My guest, Dr. Trevor Wilkins, believes that with accountability, um, working to overcome those trauma wounds and understanding how to overcome irrational thinking, that someone can really change their life in a matter of, of 90 days. I think that's such a hopeful and empowering message. And I really enjoyed his vibe, his humor, his stories, and I think you will too. Please, if you have a chance, rate the podcast. Those five-star ratings really help. Take the time to review if you can and subscribe. I appreciate your encouragement and support. And let's get to the conversation. Today, my guest is Dr. Trevor Wilkins. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, weather's treating us okay down here. Good. Where are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm in central Kentucky. I was born and raised in Texas, but came here back in 2002 uh, with some family. So it's been home for quite a while now. How do you Love feel it. about that? Because some people say about Texas, I wasn't born there, but I got there as soon as I, I could. And you went the opposite direction. Are you okay I, with Kentucky? I did. <laughs> I, I am. You know, it, 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 it definitely feels a lot like it's a lot greener and prettier than Texas was, although yeah. Texas will always probably be home for me. Uh, this is mm -hmm. definitely home now. In fact, when uh, my oldest of two daughters was born, one of my family members who still resides in Texas sent us a uh, bottle with sand in it from Texas so, to put <laughs> under the bed so that the kid could be born on Texas soil. Well, oh, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Texans are very, very proud of their, of their state. That's, that is true. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today. I really appreciated getting to know you through Instagram and I'm a big fan of your work and your no Thank nonsense you. approach. And I wondered if you'd just take a minute and kind of let the audience know what you do and who yeah. So what I do now, and, I, and I'm sure we'll get into some, some of the history of it, but what I do now is uh, I'm a licensed psychotherapist in Kentucky, but I do have a traditional office here. I specialize mainly here in things like trauma, PTSD, anger, anxiety, high-risk careers. And, and that's, that's where I started out kind of the traditional uh, psychotherapy one-on-one, -on -one, you know, heater on the couch kind of practice. Mm -hmm. and it served me really well. And what happened was I, I was amassing a waiting list, which I'm thankful for. All of my therapists here have a waiting list at my practice. And, and I, while I'm thankful for that, it, was, it, was, it would cause me some anxiety. I didn't like people having to wait. So I was trying to think of a way to reach out to people on that list to kind of maybe get some information in their hands. Uh, we know things like motivational interviewing and you know just getting, 
people started in the right direction can be a big help. So uh, it, it initially became an attempt to try and get information in people's hands and slash help more people if I could in, in yeah. some way. And what it eventually became is um, what's called the Angry Viking Mindset Method. I come by the name the Angry Viking because of uh, my appearance. I have a mohawk <laughs> and a beard. I'm covered in Viking tattoos. And it's been something I've always been interested in. And kind of that type A personality, especially standing out from the, the typical counseling community. Uh, I got that name from academia, you know, just because I didn't, I didn't really fit their mold. They thought I was angry all the time. And, uh, but what I started to figure out was the people that were on that waiting list, some of them were doing well enough not to come in. Maybe they didn't need specific one-on-one therapy sessions every week or twice a week. What they needed was some direction. What they needed was some information. And that taught me a lot about clearly some people do still need that. Uh, that's an important thing, especially when we're dealing with, with big things like trauma. But what that taught me was we could affect more people by getting information out there, getting them on the right routine, getting them changing uh, the way that they think, changing their daily vibration. Things that we've known for years are important, but aren't really covered in a therapy session. Yeah. You know, we're not usually talking about your morning routine and changing the way that you perceive things, which, which in my opinion is everything, whether it's trauma, whether it's depression or anxiety. Um, yes, events do impact us and things do matter. and We're not just going to blow things off, but it's our interpretation that makes the emotion at the end. Uh, Viktor Frankl had a famous saying between the stimulus and the response is a space. And in that space is our where we can determine what this really means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to go from angry to happy. But what if I went from angry to frustrated? Not by force, but, but because that's what was more warranted. So yeah. by... Coming up with this mindset method, what it eventually became was this online presence, an opportunity to, to put out information, YouTube videos, on social media. I ended up creating an app and now I have a whole program with different tiers where people come and sign up. You know, they determine where they need and uh, that there's all different price points and all different tiers. Everything from weekly Q&A sessions with a group all the way up to one-on-one sessions with me. So it became this big way to massively help more people much faster than the therapy office. And so it yeah. really became the passion of mine. I've poured a lot into it. And that's where we ran into each other. Yeah. You know, me finding your podcast and, and Instagram and and you finding my Instagram as well. And and again, it's all about the mindset part. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into that, but it's the mindset part. So um, you know, after all the school, after all the after all the sitting here in the office and learning about doing therapy and what people need, it really became the tool that lets me help more people. So that that born the uh, angry Viking mindset method. That's really exciting because you're kind of limited. I mean, you could be the best therapist in the world, but if you're only scheduling, there's only mm-hmm. so many hours you can schedule. So you're like exponentially advancing the ability to help people just by mm-hmm. putting yourself on social media and doing those videos and coming up with the app. And that's oh, really yeah. very exciting. It is. And, and, and we're taught that I am a professor at a couple of different colleges for counseling as well. Uh, I like teaching it. It keeps me in the learning loop, mm-hmm. keeps me, you know, pushing and learning new things. And I enjoy watching new counselors grow. And but that's what we teach. We teach you're supposed to get an office. You're supposed to sit across from the, from somebody on the couch an hour at a time. And this is how you build. And this is what you do. And this is what you tell people. And that all is true. But there are other ways. There, there yeah, are much faster yeah. ways. And and the growth that I see in 12 weeks or 90 days or just a few months on that program 
is even faster than coming in here sometimes, you know, yeah. because they're getting daily information and daily contact and daily accountability and weekly Q&A sessions and weekly chances to talk with me on video and direct messaging with me. So that, that through the app, which is private, so they don't have to worry about social media. And I, I love that idea too, that by putting some stuff out there on Instagram, even when you first got started, that just those minor adjustments was what a lot of people needed. They just mm-hmm. needed somebody to say, okay, this is how you start to change. And once they mm-hmm. started, like you said, once their turn came up, they might not have even really needed to come in for a one-on-one anymore. Yeah, it, it does happen. And and that's the thing, you know, the, that minor change, <clears throat> while it may lead to a bigger change, that's what people need. You know, it's not about hypnotism. It's not about forgetting the past. It's not about being okay with the past. It's about not having to react to it anymore. It's about not having limbic system reactions. It's it's about not having fight or flight. It's about not having feeling re-traumatized every time. And even if it's not what people would consider trauma, and every everybody has a different definition of that these days, but not even people consider trauma if it's just life events that have that have messed up your filter you know you're angry all the time or depressed all the time or everything's bad or it's always your fault or everybody's always disrespectful uh our filter's broken you know that that it's a learned behavior when we when we're born all we know how to do is eat cry pee and poop that's it (laughs) everything else i learned so you know whether i learned it the right way or the wrong way my filter is learned so whether it's like you were saying small adjustments some people take those small adjustments for things like the social media and go oh that makes a lot of sense i'm gonna try this and some people really dive into things like the mindset method mm-hmm. and really get some real healing out of it. It's a big yeah. change in their life. If you don't mind, I kind of get the sense that you have a story based on some of the posts that you've, you know, you said you used to react in anger. Am I correct in saying that you're a law enforcement veteran? I am. Yep. yep. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you figure out this trauma piece? Because I can tell it comes much deeper to you than just your brain. I mean, that's coming from a really deeper place. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it definitely does. So um, I started in public safety back in 1997. Uh, I was 18. Um, At that point in my life, all I ever wanted to do and all I ever dreamed of was being a paramedic. So I got really lucky about 16 and 17. I got involved in a program that got me my EMT certificate when I was 17. I turned 18, started in uh, EMS, which was, you know, rapidly grow up process for me, you know, going from high school to ambulance and was looking towards getting a paramedic license. And that's really what I wanted to do was EMS and fire. And, uh, I turned 21 and, uh, I, I just decided I wanted to take a little more, what felt to me at the time, proactive route, uh, EMS and fire was great. Uh, that would have been a great career to continue with. I just felt like I wanted a more proactive way Mm -hmm. to change community. So law enforcement really started to strike me. Um, I hadn't quite turned 21 yet, so I became a police dispatcher for uh, for about a year and a half and then turned 21 and uh, fortunately got my first police job. Uh, I had a couple over the years just going from a small town to a bigger city and, um, you know, starting kind of my hometown uh, as as many do, did a couple years there, uh, met, met who is my now wife, mm-hmm. and we ended up moving from the West out to Kentucky because of family. Uh, my family had come here for a job. We came out. I liked it. Uh, we shot applications all over the place, and I got hired by uh, Lexington, uh, Kentucky, which is a, a town about 500000 on the average. So uh, started there, did four years there, really enjoyed it. Uh, nothing negative really to say uh, about that group. Very professional agency. 
I just started to realize that I kind of missed being out in the county, that kind mm-hmm. of, of policing. So I ended up going to an agency called Vehicle Enforcement, which was mostly traffic uh, related. We merged with the state police. So it did most of my time with uh, the Kentucky State Police and really enjoyed that. Uh, that was definitely my niche. I liked kind of being out there myself and solving solving problems. And uh, it, it was just a better fit for me public safety wise. Well, about seven years into the policing careers, about 10 years into public safety, uh, I was actually coming home from court in, in uniform in my car, but coming home from court because, uh, you know, any public safety member will tell you that's when stuff happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you're supposed to be going home and came up on a wreck and it turned out to be a fatal wreck, uh, which is tough, but I've worked hundreds of those, hundreds and hundreds of fatal wrecks. Well, this particular one, a lady had sideswiped a dump truck. Uh, you can imagine that a Buick versus a dump truck, who's going to win that one? Yeah. Uh, she ended up going through a guardrail, down an embankment of about 45 degrees for about 100 yards or so, and struck a tree head on mm-hmm. out of control. Well, a couple things happened. One, when she struck the tree, the car burst into flames immediately. It was just mm-hmm. such an impact that it, it caught it on fire. And so myself and a couple of really brave truck drivers tried to you know, go help. We ran down the hill and we weren't able to get her out. And that was because the second thing that happened when she hit the tree was it pinned her in the vehicle, like physically pinned her legs in there. We could have been a crane and not got her out. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, we heard her pass away while burning, you know, a very tough Uh. thing. And and I think anybody would realize that's probably top five on anybody's list of hard things to see. And and it was, I've been to hundreds of fatal wrecks, but uh, what became the, the bigger story later was, yeah, that was tough, but I'd seen that before. I dealt with that stuff before. I went home, uh, got up the next morning, put my uniform on, went back to work and continued working, continued working for uh, what would really be eight more years, seven or eight more years. Uh, but it was different, but it wasn't different overnight. And that's that's one of the reasons I, I share kind of the impact of that story. And it wasn't different overnight. What I found was I went from, you know, uh, what I what I hope was a star employee had uh, numerous medals for bravery in the line of duty. Uh, awards for most felony arrests and and uh, proactive you know contacts in a, in a post area. Uh, a really a go-to guy is what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Good, you, know, you, you give me the mission and I'll go do it. So I went from that guy, really loving my job, really enjoying what I was doing, would have worked for free probably, to the absolute worst employee you could ever have. Uh, yeah. Were you just not showing up or not? Well, what, what it became was uh, I became the problem child. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went from loving my job, taking any mission on to angry all the time, sad uh, most of the time, overreactive, overreactive to emotions, overreactive to anger. And looking back now, what I see was little things were becoming big things because here I was dealing with this stuck in my head. Yeah, this difficult scene, which which a lot of people have seen. But to me, it was this overwhelming feeling of helplessness. I, yeah. I was helpless to help her. And I never felt that before. I was the mm-hmm. strong guy. I could do anything. I could get anybody in handcuffs. It was this helpless feeling, which which you'll find is a common theme in trauma. So it was, it was the first time I really felt helpless. The problem was, is what that caused was that helpless feeling of every time I saw something close. So somebody would do something reckless in a vehicle. And to me, it might as well have been a dangerous felony because in my my brain, what I know now is the limbic system. What I know now is that fight or flight was kicking in and I would overreact. And then again, not, not only just because of what I saw and what I dealt with and the changes that it was making, 
but I became angrier, even more overreaction to emotion. Uh, I was losing my family. My kids were scared of me. My wife was angry. I was drinking all the time. Uh, I would, I would miss work in a job that I'd never missed work for. Uh, I became a, a really rotten employee, you know, and then I, in, I, I went from a star employee to the sergeant's office, the lieutenant's office, the captain's office, the major's office. And eventually it cost me my career. Yeah. Uh, I was like, go by the state police after uh, 15 years of law enforcement. And looking back, I see why. But at the time, it just made me angrier. And and I remember to add to that helpless feeling, a couple of lieutenants came and picked up my cruiser from my house. I remember watching it drive away thinking like, wow, that I have no other skills. Yeah. That's all I know. Well, just before that had happened, I had realized that that I was becoming a mess. Again, I was, I was losing family. Uh, nobody wanted to work with me, be around me. I was extremely angry. It was exhausting. You know, being angry like that is physically and mentally exhausting all the time and that overreaction. So I started to finally reach out for a little help. And, you know, it's very, very taboo among type A men. It's definitely taboo among public safety. We're doing better these days, but it's yeah. still that way. But there's still that mentality of, no, that's for weak people. Mental health isn't real. You just need to work harder. Well, I, I did that. And it be stronger. So, yeah. So I reached out for help to a psychologist we had on staff. And it, this wasn't his fault, but he wasn't able to do therapy with me. His job was kind of critical incident stuff, going out to shootings we were involved in. So he pointed me to a couple of people. The first lady that I went to uh, that I finally convinced myself to try, she cried when I told that story. So that mm. wasn't very helpful. Yeah. Uh, the second person I went to, a mental health therapist, said that my PTSD and my anger were so bad that he didn't know what to do with me or where to send me. So I became this, oh, good, I'm just broken then. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm a mess. The short part of the rest of that story is that uh, I fell for a long time, became a complete mess, losing everything to uh, kind of relying upon that boneheadedness and bullheadedness of us public safety and type A guys of, well, I'll just go figure this out myself then. And it led me back to college. Uh, I went from no degree to PhD uh, wow. about as quickly as I could, uh, finished internships and residencies and all that. And now I have a private practice where I get to f- help people fix this problem. Uh, and, and again, in the beginning, it was, how do I fix me? Yeah. Yeah, that's truly an amazing story because as a licensed professional counselor, you know, I went through part of that. I didn't mm-hmm. go on to the PhD, but I can just attest to going from no college all the way through to PhD mm. and all the internships and all the hours yeah. and everything you had to do. Wow. What a task. Did anyone ever connect it to that incident? Did you at the time you were still employed? Not at all, because to me, that was just another bad wreck. I knew that it was different because that was a tough scene. You know, any public safety member has been to some tough stuff. Uh, The national average on a 20-year career is 750 critical incidents for a public safety officer. Um, And and that tells me a couple things. One, we're extremely resilient people, because if it were the incident, you'd have quit on day two. You wouldn't have made it to 750. And two, it's not the incident. It's our interpretation of the incident, uh, because how can we go to something that's horrible? Uh, somebody loses a life, a kid loses a life, and of course we feel for the family. Gosh, I hate that happened. I wish this happened. Uh, I'm going to think about it for a while, make me hug my kids tighter. Um, we can't go to 750 of those if every one of them cause an emotional problem, right. if every one of them we're connected to. Well, you go back to that stream of helplessness is that a lot of times that that's the key, that that was the first time that I felt helpless. 
uh, in a career where I'm supposed to be the guy that shows up and takes care of everything and felt yeah. I did a good job at that. Here was finally a time that I couldn't, uh, and it was a fail. So it was helpless. And what it really became for me was this argument to self of not strong enough. I wasn't strong enough to get her out. If I would have been stronger, I could have gotten her out. Yeah. And lots of people have their, you know, I'm not blank enough. I'm not skinny enough or big enough or strong yeah. enough or rich enough or good enough. Uh, for me, it was strong enough. And so I poured myself into physique and strength thinking that that was the problem. And it turns out that it, it was, yeah. it, it was a nice byproduct afterwards of, of getting in much better shape and being strong. And, but yeah, I'm really glad that you said that because I see that a lot. A lot of guys seem to be chasing after physical strength mm-hmm. and that's wonderful. I think it's a great thing and it's admirable, but at the same time, if you're not doing the other work to go along with it, the mm-hmm. interior work. I definitely, I completely agree with you because I think it's step one. And what I find in a lot of mindset programs or coaching programs and mine included is a lot of people will sign up for, I have to get better shape. I feel down. I feel beat up. I don't feel good. I have to get better shape. And like you said, it is a very integral part of your daily functioning. You, you, you do need to do that because you will operate better in better shape. I only get to have uh, a ripped uh, six pack of abs but you definitely don't want to be doing your body a disservice. But exactly, right. what I'll find is, is that people will come into the program, even if it is just, hey, I need some accountability to get myself back in shape and, and learn to think clear. They'll get really caught up in, in the physical part of it, which is great. But when you finally figure it out, it's not necessarily the, the physicality of it. It's not necessarily what you're doing. The, the, the guy doing 150 burpees is getting as much as the guy doing bench press. So it's not what you're doing. We'll set you up on a program as long as you're working out somehow. It's the daily routine of it. Right? You know, I always tell people, get up five days early, earlier than normal. Get some food in you, good food. Go to the gym, feed your body, fix your body, fix your brain, put some information in your head. I, I, I recommend people read some nonfiction, get something in their head to get the day started and fix their behaviors. So get up early and do that for five days and watch how you treat people. And then don't do that for five days. Sloth out of bed three minutes before you have to get dressed and head off to work. Grab the donut on the way out the door, the energy drink. There's no parking place when you get to the office in your favorite first two rows because you're angry. And now you go in, there's a stack of papers on your desk. Do that part for five days and see how you treat people, including yourself. You're setting yourself up. Workout, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's it's the routine. You have to get in the program. You have to have a daily program because I promise you, if you will stick to the daily program, again, it's not working out. That is a piece of it that people need to do, but it's also learning. It's also changing your interpretations, your philosophies. It's it's getting around a a a group of like minded, mission minded people, Mm -hmm. and then watch how you treat people. You say. Frequently, you will not improve until you improve everything. Mm-hmm. And are those the things you're talking about? Body, mind, behavior. Yep, you're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, body, brain, behavior it, it okay. is kind of the moniker I use and that you, you've got to feed your brain, whether it, it be whether it be nutrition, things that you read or think about or learn, you've, you've got to feed it. And then, of course, body and behavior, you know, body is kind of an easy one to figure out, but behavior, behavior is what encompasses my belief of changing your interpretation. You know, it's, it's not what happens to you that matters. It does matter, 
but it does impact you. Things do impact your life, but it is your interpretation of what that means that decides whether you are healthily sad or unhealthily depressed, healthily okay. frustrated or unhealthily angry, uh, healthily remorseful or unhealthily guilty. So it, it's our interpretation. Contradiction there and how... Mm. Not all of those feelings are bad. And we tend to think if we're not feeling good or happy, then there must be something wrong. But it's Mm -hmm. more almost like you're saying it's an observation. Let me observe this. And I'm not going to put it in a negative light. I'm going to try to figure out what this is telling me in this moment. Yeah, it's a very good start. And and what what people find is what they learn from me. There's no no secret to it. It does take a lot of practice. Uh, It's the irrational demands that we make. It's the shalls and the musts and the shoulds and the have-tos. One of the things about working with uh, public safety or military individuals, it's really, which isn't all my clientele, but I do tend to attract that just because of my history. But um, to, to us, the word shall means something. When you see a warrant and it says you shall arrest this person, it doesn't mean please. It means shall. Yeah. Well, so there are some shalls out there, but shall be perfect. Other people must recognize that I did well or I'm worthless. You must treat me with the respect that I deserve or you're worthless. The world must be easy and carefree and give me what I deserve or it's worthless. Those demands are ridiculous. They're irrational. Of course, I want to be happy. Of course, I want to be treated with respect. Of course, I want things to go well and to get what I deserve. But it's the irrational demand that gets us in trouble every time. The the demand of respect is, is one that really resonated with me with anger. You must treat me with the respect that I deserve or you're a worthless, horrible person. Well, it doesn't say you must treat me with respect or I won't like you. Maybe I won't. Or you must treat me with respect or I won't do business with you. Okay, don't do business with them. Move on. But how many times do we change that to you must treat me with respect that I deserve or you're a worthless, terrible, horrible person. I don't know if they're worthless and terrible or not. I don't like them right now. But I don't yeah. know if they're worthless, but I'm the one that carries the anger 20 minutes later. I always talk about with, uh, you know, with road rage is, did you get frustrated, which is a healthy negative emotion? Get frustrated. I'm never going to be happy about somebody cutting me off. But frustrated is very different than anger. Yeah. And anger is unhealthy. And the difference is 10 minutes later with anger, I'm still squeezing the steering wheel so hard. I think the airbag's going to pop out. Yeah. And that guy's sitting at home drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah. I noticed in some of your uh, videos, you're playing kind of the angry music. And I know that helps mm. me. Like if I feel it just to burn it off with some, some proper music, it just kind of helps oh, yeah. it to evaporate. People call me once in a while, like doc, I, I'm just so angry right now, or I'm so upset. It, this used to be a weird thing to tell people. Now it's become a normal rhetoric and they understand it. Like doc, I'm so angry. I don't know what to do. Do 20 burpees and call me back. They're like what? <laughs> Whatever. And they'll hang up the phone. And three minutes later, they call me back in a breath. And they're like, okay, I've calmed down a little bit. I feel better. And it's not, a, it's not about getting from angry to happy because you did 20 burpees or whatever. Right. You know, or it's not that you went to happy. But anxiety is the body's way of telling you something's wrong. Here's some extra energy for it. Everybody freaks out about anxiety. And I don't want people to be anxious. But anxiety is your brain saying, uh-oh, problem. Here's some stuff to take care of. Here's some adrenaline. Here's some extra energy. Think about the way that people can be exhausted, absolutely exhausted, and they go lay down and they're wide awake. You didn't run yeah. a marathon. Hello, it's that's me. Yeah, exactly. It's because your brain went, uh-oh, we got to worry about this for tomorrow. Oh, well, yeah. here's some extra energy to do it. Now you're awake, right? Get rid of some of that energy. I don't think burpees is the cure to, to problems, but it is definitely a cure to you burning off some of that energy 
Uh, just like you said with music, music can change my mood like that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think that's so valuable too, just to give yourself permission to feel. And based on how you were raised, maybe anger was looked at as a bad thing. Well, it is what it is. I'm angry. So let me do some burpees or let me turn up this music for a minute. Let me just feel it for a second. Mm -hmm. And then you can move forward and maybe decide like to make a call or to decide how you're going to deal with it instead of reacting to it. Mm, That's a great way to put that decide over react, right? Because the problem is if we make a decision based on emotion, you're going to fail. Tell me one time that a decision based on emotion was perfect. No way. It has to be based on rationality, the things that you can prove. And that's what I commonly tell people like, well, he must treat me with respect. That boss must give me that promotion and must treat me with respect. And one of the reasons I'm called the angry Viking therapist is because I don't tell people like, well, let's look at it from his side. Let's see where maybe that made that decision. That's good stuff. If you could do that, do that. But I can't. Uh, I may not be able to I always say I may not be able to see it from somebody else's side because I may not be able to get my head up my butt that far. <laughs> I can't see it from their side. Right. Yeah. So I don't think that's the fix. I think the, the the difference is, oh, so he must treat you with respect and he must give you that promotion. Cool. Prove it. I bet you can't. And that doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. We're not going from angry to happy. The problem is not the problem. The promotion is no longer the problem. It is a problem. But the problem is not the problem. Your problem is that you're stuck on that stupid demand and now you're just pissed. Now you're just stuck on how horrible of a person he is and nothing ever goes right for you and nobody ever does anything for you and you work hard all the time and you never get your reward for it. And that's ridiculous. And I know those things because those are the things that go through my brain and I had to figure out how to fix. It wasn't about being happy. It was about going from angry to frustrated because tell me the last time you made an angry decision that worked out, but you can't. Yeah. And it's that demand. It's that stupid, irrational demand. And we all do them. The shoulds, the shalls, the must, the cannots, the must nots, the should nots. It's terrible. You've said a couple of times throughout this podcast, people demand respect. And I think men get caught up on that, especially with their wives and their children sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm demanding you respect me instead of backing up and going, why might they not? You know, like, does she treats me like my mother? There is some thought we can put into of how are you contributing to this, right? Yeah. But what I find most is that now that I've taken, I've been treated what I determine is like my mom by her, and I decide you cannot do that to me. And now the problem is I don't like being treated that way. And I would like to do something about it, and I don't want to be treated that way. And if I don't want it, and I don't like it, and it's frustrating, then we can come to a conclusion about it. We can have a conversation. I can come up with some ideas. Maybe we can look at why I'm treated that way, as you said. But the problem is you're still stuck on level two of she must not, cannot, shall not treat me that way. And it gets us to a really dark place. You have come up with words that are really (laughs) negative. And thoughts that you would never say, much less that you think are true. And that all comes from that space of must not treat me this way or you're completely worthless or horrible or terrible. And some of us get stuck there. And so now I'm not mad about being treated like my mom. I don't like that. And we're going to have a discussion about it or I'm going to change my ways or we need to change our ways or whatever we need to do. That comes from frustration. Another thing that kind of ties into that wife and children, you had a post where I think it was one of your little girls playing with a pink camper 
you were talking about stop ruining everything. Yeah. And I think as kids, probably every kid can relate to this. If you think back to that adult that would just come in, it would be like you're walking through a minefield on a beautiful day. You're yeah. in your zone, you're doing great. And then all of a sudden something explodes and you don't know what just happened or what I did wrong or why. Right. But the person that, that you would literally take a bullet for, I would give my life for my wife and kids, but I made them walk around on eggshell. And so that post always sticks out to me. That's when I finally realized that I was in a bad place. You know, I will step up, take care of my family. I'm willing to take on the stress. I'm willing to take on the financial burden. I'm willing to take on the negativity. I will fight through it for my family. But what kind of dad ruins vacation? Yeah. You know, and, and we would constantly scrape up enough pennies together and, and, you know, decide like, oh, we just got to get out of here and that'll make things better. You know, we're working so much. <clears throat> and 30 minutes down the road, I'd already piss everybody off. And so I had this mantra in my head of like, oh, good job, Trev. You've ruined another vacation. That's awesome. There's there's $1,200 down the drain. What a stupid piece of crap you are. And then it became so helpless and self-defeating. For me to say those words was tough to admit because I'm a strong dude. Like I am a type A Viking. You know, I, yeah. I consider myself a very strong-willed individual that would never talk down to myself and Oh, I was talking down to myself. I was, I was, I was killing myself. Yeah. Now the place that I'm at, when I see those things of like my daughter playing with the pink camper while we're in our camper, I'm like, Oh dude, how many of these did you run? I got to stop other people from running these. I love that because yes, I could relate to the little girl in the picture, but then at the end of it, you said, and five seconds later, you're beating yourself up. I'm yeah. really compassionate for the man too. Who's so powerless in that he's stuck in mm -hmm. that cycle where he can't control you know, his emotion, what you don't transform, you're going to transmit it out to others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that work for, for you is also going to be such a blessing to, to your loved ones as well. Yeah. Well, and like I said, it just made me feel like a, I've never in my life felt like a piece of trash until I started that downhill slot. And then yeah. every day I woke up mm -hmm. uh, of a terrible, horrible, worthless person. If there's somebody listening that's going, wow, he's describing my life or <laughs> what are the things that you do look for when you're dealing with PTSD or trauma? Um, what are those signs? Yeah, it's a great question. So nobody really comes in and gives me the five clinical things that are required for yeah. a diagnosis of PTSD. I know if they do, they've probably spent too much time on WebMD <laughs> because we don't use those words in real life. Yeah. I barely use them and I, and I do this for a living. What people come in and tell me though is... Doc, my marriage is falling apart. I'm angry all the time and I'm ruining vacations and I can't work anymore and I'm drinking too much and what we call somatics and I have irritable bowel syndrome all the time and I can't stay out of the bathroom and I've got acid reflux all the time caused by or increased by stress. People come in and tell me the things that are going wrong in their life. I think that's what makes people finally reach out. So the first thing I look for is, is not necessarily a trauma. When I first started kind of in this venture, that's what I always thought it was going to be. Oh, you responded to 9-11 or you've been to a wreck like mine, mm -hmm. been a shooting or you've lost a family member in front of you or these big T traumas. You don't have to go to Afghanistan to have trauma. That's a different kind of trauma that we're going to have to deal with. But the trauma from your childhood, it can be just as damaging. We don't compare traumas in my office. Trauma is trauma. Trauma is something mm -hmm. that your brain is not capable of dealing with. So you have to go into limbic system mode. You have to go into fight or flight mode. Cue the anger, right? Cue the overreaction. And so this ties into what I look for 
Uh, when we look at, at trauma, we look at two parts of the brain. And one's the prefrontal cortex. It's the thinking part of the brain. It makes your decisions, uh, long-term decisions. The other one's that limbic system that I've alluded to. And, and most people have heard it called the fight or flight part of the brain. Well, mm-hmm. uh, just in short, that's the one that, that turns on when we need it in a true fight or flight emergency. If you're getting nervous about something, that's not fight or flight. That's still thinking. What we found was, although we need this fight or flight part of the brain, That when you deal with acute trauma or chronic trauma, chronic stress, uh, whether it be from childhood or recent, is that that limbic system starts to, it actually changes in size, which is really weird to see on a brain scan, but it changes in strength. And we found that because we took a bunch of 18-year-olds, we scanned their brain, then went to combat, they came back, we scanned their brain again. What we found is all the decisions are now being made in the limbic system. Mm -hmm. Everything was fight or flight, including what's your name was a fight or flight question. That's pretty handy for cover and concealment. That's not so handy for, hey, where do you want to go to dinner tonight, honey? Yeah. Right. We don't need that. The other part was the physical reactions that we were seeing. And another thing that I looked for, uh, when you need that fight or flight in a real life or death emergency, that limbic system's job is to do some certain things. It speeds up your heart to get more blood. You breathe faster to get more oxygen. It heats up your body. So your tendons and ligaments won't tear, uh, shuts off your digestive system. Cause as it turns out, you don't, it's not handy to use the bathroom in the middle of a fight. So it shuts it off. That's why you get yeah. dry mouth when you're nervous. Uh, it gives you a, a dump of adrenaline so you're stronger and it hones your senses in. Well, what does panic attack, anxiety attack, waking up from a nightmare, dealing with a flashback, or I would submit to you an anger attack? What's that look like? Breathing fast, heart racing, mm-hmm. shaking from adrenaline, stomach's messed up, body sweating for no reason because it heated up and your senses are all jacked up. There, there are some things that I physically look for, you know, that overreaction, but the big reason I explain that to people every time that we do a trauma is, hey, it turns out you're not crazy or stupid or weak or can't handle it. turns out you got a limbic system problem, and that's a fixable problem. You're overreacting in a life or death type of way to things that are not life or death. Why was I ruining vacations? Why was I punching holes in the wall? And then, as you said earlier, that five minutes later feeling terrible, uh, when, mm-hmm. when you put a, a, a private practice website together, one of the things they teach you is put happy photos on there, put, you know, kind of sell the ending of, you know, sunflower fields, holding hands, dad's playing (laughs) Uno. That that didn't really resonate with me. What I found and put on mine was a picture of a guy with his head in his hands. Because I thought, I know that dude, because that's me five minutes after I lose it. You know, because we do need the limbic system. We do need fight or flight. There's times where it's absolutely appropriate to go there. But I was doing it so much and so often that I'd find myself five minutes later sitting on the bed thinking, wow, what a piece of trash I was. To tie that back into what do we look for, it's why do we overreact to emotions? Is this a limbic system issue? Is this a fight or flight issue like trauma that trauma causes? Or is this a rational thinking issue? You know, if Are we going to those demands and those irrational demands, which are not being met, are now causing a limbic system reaction? Because right? you must treat me with respect. And now yeah. that you didn't, all hell just broke loose. Yeah, I love that you have that compassionate view of trauma. Like we don't, we don't compare trauma. We don't judge trauma. And I heard someone say one time that when you are faced with something, whether you're two or four or eight or 25, and you feel like the rug's been pulled out from under you, and all of a sudden you're stuck in a moment where you have no idea what to do. That is, that's the episode. That's the Mm -hmm. event possibly. Like when you encountered that wreck where for the first time you couldn't help right. and yeah. it just went haywire from there. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Cause that's what it was. It's helpless it, for the first time in 15 years of law enforcement and three years of being a medic and helping people. There were definitely times that things went wrong. 
where I, where it was too far for me to help, you know, somebody having a heart attack. So it wasn't the complete helplessness. It was my helplessness. It was that here I was facing a situation that for the first time in my life, I could not affect. And I, in my mind, which is what added to it was, I should have been able to affect it because I didn't. I'm a worthless piece of trash. As uh, mission manhood kind of folks, we don't like feeling weak. I want to ask you about EMDR before we close, but can you tell us briefly, like along your journey from, like you said, you started college all the way through PhD, was there a moment or a class where you went, oh, it was that incident that caused everything to go crazy? Did you have there that light bulb? There were some moments. It wasn't in college though. College, it's necessary. It's very important. It gives you yeah. a great foundation. But anybody listening that's been through a police academy or a fire academy or the military, like you learn some absolutely things that you had to have to do that job, but you did not learn how to do that job. Yeah, I remember seeing across my first client thinking like, well, what are you going to talk about? Because I don't know what to talk about. And hoping they'd say something like, well, I hate my mom. Like, okay, let's work on that. (laughs) But um, it's you have to get out and do more training. So for me, it was two things I'll tell really quickly. One was finding rational motive behavior therapy, which is all that stuff that I've talked about, about mm-hmm. rational thoughts and beliefs. Finding that and being almost slapped in the face by the well-advanced instructor that taught it to me. I'm looking at the board while he's talking, thinking, oh, shoot, that's me. <laughs> you know, that irrational demands and irrational labels of self and yeah. others. and. Uh, what we call uh, awfulizing or catastrophizing mm-hmm. and low frustration tolerance, which I call, I can't stand it. Itis, you know, I can't yeah. handle this. It's terrible. It's awful. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen. I'm a worthless piece of trash for it. And it can't happen. There's four rational beliefs in one sentence. So that was one. The other one was, and I'd heard of EMDR, uh, which you had alluded to. And the mistake I made was going to YouTube and looking up EMDR. And it was some lady waving her hand in front of people asking if they're better. And I thought that's stupid and I'll never do it. In fact, I lost clients because of it. Cause people would call and say, Hey, you're a trauma guy. Do you do EMDR? I'm like, Nope, it's terrible. That, that looks horrible. Well, so I go to a conference in, in which there's 30 individuals, they're police and dispatch and they've all been through critical events and they're all not doing well mm. in, in varying degrees. And a gentleman came in who's a law enforcement officer now turned therapist uh, in Georgia. Uh, and he uses it. And he did on a gentleman whose critical event was 13 years before nightmares, overreaction to emotions, physical symptoms, can't go to work, ruining his marriage, ruining his family. And in 30 minutes, he did what takes me three months to do. And the, my first thought was, oh, there goes a lot of money because EMDR is expensive to get trained in. So I go get trained in it again, still kind of thinking, OK, hey, whatever it takes to put in my pocket as, as a tool, I will get trained in whatever it takes. When you're at EMDR training, the basic training, you have to use it uh, on each other. And I get paired up with, a, at the time, a master's student. And my first thought was, oh, man, this is a really <laughs> nice lady, but she's never even seen a patient. Yeah. And in fact, the, the instructor, who's a retired Army colonel, which is why I picked him, because he thought a lot like me. And if this guy used EMDR, maybe it's okay. It might be okay. Yeah, this tough guy. So he comes in, Vietnam vet, current, you know, retired colonel. He walks up and he says, hey, didn't you say you've been in law enforcement 15 years? I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, give her like a three out of 10. Don't give her your 10 out of 10. <laughs> let's, not, <laughs> let's not scare it yet. Yeah. So, so uh, we did EMDR and in 30 minutes, uh, something that I had been holding on to for a very long time was gone. The visual was still there. I could still think of it. I still have emotion about it, but I'm not overreactive about it anymore. And what it did was in short, it took the fight or flight part out of it. 
I didn't know it was fight or flight. I thought it was just anger, but I was getting to the anger because I would see this and have a reaction to it. That was the second moment that I was like, Oh, this is a brain thing. Like this isn't a, this isn't a, a piece of trash thing. This is a me thing. I'm doing this, whether it be through my rational demands or through my limbic system, I'm causing it. Those were the two moments. And then not only did I see EMDR work for me and work for so many people, there's a train level. There is a certified level. And then there's a consultant level. I'm up at the consultant level. That's how much I believe in it. I teach it. I, I help people get certified and get better at it. That's that's how much I believe in it. It's not a fix-all. It helps with maladaptively or unprocessed memories. If you're stuck in limbic system, if you're stuck in overreaction, those physical responses we talked about, you're not going to think yourself out of the problem until you're done being in fight or flight. You got to fix that first. And that's, that is EMDR's modality in my opinion it can be used for lots of other things i don't want to negate any other emdr therapist's work it can be used for depression anxiety but it is for that reaction yeah i'm pretty newly exposed to emdr and just like you i was like what in the world there's this little (laughs) (laughs) little thing that goes back and forth and i actually did emdr online on a zoom call I had encountered something that the rug was completely pulled out from under me. I did not know how to react and I could not get over it. Mm -hmm. So every time it popped up in my head, I would have this horrible flood of emotion. And so I thought, let me just try. And after I worked with this lady for a couple of sessions, I feel like I've been set free from it. It's still sad, but I don't have that flood of emotion every time I even think about it. It is a powerful tool for people who have those little bits of programming in their brain that need to be debugged a little bit. That's how I kind of look at it. Absolutely. Because if it is still causing an emergency reaction, you're not going to think yourself into a better place. Yeah. And and I don't, I, you know, I talk about irrational uh, demands and that's not necessarily trying to think better. I don't Mm -hmm. encourage people to just think more clearly or think happier or try to see it from the other side. We actually have to deal with some of these reactions. Oh, you were in a fatal car wreck last year where your friend died. Now you're afraid to get into a car. That one's easy to figure out. But I don't know. I I overreact all the time. Well, let's talk about childhood a little bit. Oh, your dad left when you were three. Your mom did the best she could, but she worked all the time and you felt very neglected and had nobody around and still to this day wonder why dad left and feel like it's your fault. No wonder you blame yourself for everything. Yeah. Now we have to get past that. We have to get you past that. If you will do things like EMDR, if you will do things like change your rational thinking, if you will be held accountable daily for your daily vibration that you have to raise by doing the right things, that you'll be a different person in 90 days. Now, some people stick around six months. Some people stick around years because they get so much out of it and they want to keep going. But you will change your life if you do the right things for 90 days. The way I always sum it up is confidence. Confidence is not just your thoughts. Confidence is the consistent implementation of doing the right thing. Mm. You have to do the right thing over and over and over and over again. And then you walk in the room confident. And then you're confident in your marriage. And then you're confident as a dad. And then you're confident where you can sit in the camper and see your kid playing with a toy camper and think, wow, this is pretty cool. Because I spent so many years angry and numb. I was either angry or I didn't care. Yeah. That would have not have been a moment for me. And I'm not a touchy feely person. You know, I'm not, yeah. I didn't cry when I saw my kid playing with, I just was finally, finally after years able to go, wow, it's kind of cool. 
look at this innocent kid playing with a camper in the you camper. just let her be. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And that's where confidence comes from. It. One of my favorite things about talking with you is I love the name of the podcast, you know, and the whole, it is a mission. You have mission. to be mission minded. You have yeah. to be mission minded and manhood. Yeah, uh, I, I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of anti manhood stuff out there right now, and I don't I don't get political about that stuff. People believe what they believe, but I do know this: it is my job to to be manly in whatever that means for my family. You don't have to be the perfect Type A person. Yeah, or, I, I don't think that necessarily has to come with a list of expectations. Consistent implementation of doing the right things, and it's my job to have that mission and continue to do the right things. And to be the man, to be responsible in whatever that is for your family or for you. And wow, isn't life amazing when you do that? Isn't life better? Just your message is so great. I love that you're going to call people out on their BS every single day. (laughs) That's what I'm going for, yeah. (laughs) Just beyond that, you have such compassion. And that combination, I think, is some people are one or the other. And, you know, you need both. I just, I love your energy. I really appreciate you joining me today. When I'm in this uh, lane and and watching people grow, which is the coolest part of my job, change your brain, change your body, change your behaviors. Your life will completely change in 90 days. I did it myself and I've seen it over and over and over again. But I know for a fact that what you're saying is true, not just my personal experience, but with clients I work with, the people mm-hmm. that come in, they're ready to work. They're ready to make those changes. They can oh, yeah. do take the steps that they need to take. You can, and it's such an empowering message because when you're caught like you were in that situation for so long, oh, you don't yeah. feel like you're ever going to be able to break out of it. I appreciate you coming and sharing that with us today. Thanks for having me. I can talk about this stuff all day. It's, yeah. it's, it's my passion. Can you tell people how they can reach you or get in touch yeah. with you? What's the best way? Absolutely. The best way, because it's the most consistent and you get the most information, is go to my website, which is theangryvikingtherapist.com, theangryvikingtherapist.com, or avt.help for short. Go to that, smash the red button. There's information on there. But if you smash the red button, it's going to get some information from you, and uh, we'll be talking. Uh, we will have a conversation about this uh, and find out what you need. If you just want to kind of follow along, get some more information, there's two really good sources of that. One is the YouTube channel, The Angry Viking Therapist, and then uh, the Instagram, which is weird to me. I never thought I would have an Instagram page, <laughs> but it's, it's Dr. Trevor yeah. Welkins. It's just Dr. Trevor Welkins. Jump on there, follow along. You'll get a lot of information out of it. And that's mm-hmm. you can contact me there too. But in good mission manhood form, uh, about every 90 days, they don't like something I say and shut me down for a little bit. So the website's <laughs> a little safer. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you being here. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you.